need to like tell them about cishet norms mm -hmm. through emperor and empress when we know, you know, we live in it, totally. we get it, you know, we know. So why not just start with a different way immediately? Yeah. A lot of times I will hear from cis people, uh, well, I'm cis and so this conversation isn't about me. And I'm like, no, this conversation is about all of us, like gender, affects all of us, you know, like in a huge, huge way. Hello, and welcome to the Word Witch podcast, where we talk about tarot, magic, and belief, and try to bust our thinking out of the binary through conversations with folks making magic from the margins. I'm Charlie Claire Burgess, they, them. I'm going to start using that like a title, like Esquire. <laughs> And I'm the creator of Fifth Spirit Tarot. I'm the witch behind the word witch and your host on this folksy, queer rocket ship to the future. Today, I'm talking with Nick Kepley of Man of the Cards. We have a an incredible conversation about uh, gender and the tarot. We talk about the court cards and evolving the court cards beyond gender and beyond hierarchy. We also talk about the masculine-feminine duality and breaking that mold. It's a really wonderful conversation. And I wanted to let you know that Nick and I talked for so long that I actually couldn't include all of it in this episode. So Nick and I are both going to be sharing um, the outtakes from this episode that you won't be hearing here on our Patreons. So you can find both of our individual Patreon pages in the show notes uh, where you can go support us and hear more of this amazing conversation. And before we get into the interview, I just wanted to let y'all know a couple things, a couple housekeeping things. Uh, the first thing is that I have the immense honor of being part of an amazing new tarot deck project. Uh, it is called The Literary Tarot. It is being published by Brink Literacy Project, which is a nonprofit that uses storytelling to change lives and runs boots on the ground education programs in marginalized communities, uh, in prisons and homeless shelters. They're an amazing nonprofit. And uh, they are putting together a a tarot deck uh, based on classic literature. And they have asked 78 writers and authors and uh, comic book creators to choose a tarot card and pair it with a classic work, work of literature that encapsulates or represents the themes of that card. And there are some amazing folks involved in this project. Margaret Atwood has chosen a card, is doing one of the pairings. Roxanne Gay is in there. Kelly Link, Lev Grossman, Carmen Maria Machado, Rachel Pollack, who you have heard, uh, you've heard her name so many times on this podcast because she is my, like the single most influential tarot writer and thinker on me personally. Uh, Rachel Pollack is doing a pairing. And each of the authors who is choosing a card and a classic work of literature will also be contributing some uh, some words for the guidebook uh, to explain that pairing. So all of these amazing voices uh, will be in the guidebook for the deck. And uh, I got to pick a card too, <laughs> which I cannot believe. I'm just over the moon about this. I can't even tell you. So I chose uh, the Eight of Swords or the Eight of Quills, as it will be called in the deck, and paired it with Charlotte Perkins Gilman's short story, uh, The Yellow Wallpaper, which uh, some of you might have read in your literature classes or your feminist literature classes. It's a story about a woman who is imprisoned in multiple ways uh, by society, by gender roles, by marriage, and then literally <laughs> imprisoned. Um, and I won't ruin the short story. You should read it. You can read it just online because it's in the public domain. So Google Charlotte Perkins Gilman, The Yellow Wallpaper, and give it a read. And I think you'll agree it is so very Eight of Swords. 
the literary tarot is on Kickstarter right now, and you are going to want to get your hands on one of these decks. So go over to Kickstarter and check out the literary tarot. And you also, while you're there, might want to add on issue number 19 of Friction, Brink's Literary Anthology. Its theme is Arcana, and it might just have something by me in it. (laughs) Okay, it does. It does have something by me in it. It's got a creative nonfiction piece in it, a uh, personal essay uh, about... um, about how I how I uh, found tarot. Um, yeah, so getting on those uh, juicy details in issue number 19, Arcana of Friction. You can add it on in the Kickstarter or it's in one of the tiers. Anyway, I'm so excited. I had such a huge honor to be involved in this. Anyway, go check it out. Go check it out. I'm done. Next thing that I want to let you know about is the Searcher's Solstice Tarot Symposium, which is being created by Nick Kepley of Man of the Cards, who is our guest today. Uh, Nick and I will tell you a little bit more about the symposium at the end, but I wanted to give you a heads up about it right at the beginning because I know that some of you uh, will skip the the (laughs) housekeeping stuff at the end. Uh, The Searcher's Solstice Tarot Symposium is part part conference and then part tarot study groups uh, that will continue after the conference. And Nick so kindly asked me to be part of it by sitting on a panel discussion with him and Cassandra Snow of Queering the Tarot and Queering Your Craft, author of those two books. Um, And so the three of us will be talking about sex, sexuality, and gender in the tarot. Uh, And I think it's going to be an amazing freaking conversation. And there's so many other wonderful uh, voices, wonderful people who are part of this conference, including Maria Minnis, who has done the amazing anti-racism in the tarot series on her uh, Instagram. Also including, let's see, Sarah Hanks of Cottonwood Tarot, talking about religion in the tarot. Um, uh, Check it out. Please check it out. There's uh, the link is in the show notes. You're not going to want to miss it. It is from June 18th through the 20th. So the summer solstice, uh, as you might intuit from the name of the conference. Uh, And go check it out. You won't want to miss it. And I think that's it. So let's get straight into my amazing conversation with Nick Kepley. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. First, could you introduce yourself and include your pronouns and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Nick and I use he, they pronouns. Um, I live currently in New York City. I'm about to make a cross-country move to the Midwest, but that's where I am now. And I am a tarot reader professionally, um, a teacher of tarot and writer of tarot, just just like you. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, it's been a before I did all of that work, I was a professional dancer for many years um, Mm. and a choreographer and then tried unsuccessfully to move into arts administration. That went very poorly. And uh, (laughs) now I finally have admitted to myself that uh, this more creative work is really what I'm meant to be doing. So that's, that's who and what I do. Yes. And uh, we're so grateful that you do this work now. Um, I personally am grateful for it. Uh, So (laughs) Nick, I know that you and I have some similarities in our backgrounds. Uh, For instance, you and I were both raised in the South Mm -hmm. and also I'm pretty sure in the Christian church, right? Mm -hmm, That's right. Mm -hmm. And also we're both queer and non-binary people. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to tarot and why, like why it called to you and also about how or if tarot um, has influenced your journey as a queer and non-binary person at all. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I think about this actually a lot now that I, you know, have my own podcast and talk to people about their backgrounds. I used to feel 
um, almost like I didn't belong in the magical circle because I, I was like, you know, I didn't really have like a magical um, childhood or it didn't, you know, feel particularly magical. But lately I've thought about how I, I was always like obsessed with spirituality. I mean, I was absolutely obsessed with um, f- figuring out what God was when I, cause I was raised Southern Baptist and um, I, I, we then switched into an Episcopal church and I used to go really, you know, I, I would go every Sunday, every Wednesday, my mom would just drop me off. My, my family wouldn't even go with me. I would just want to go by myself. I was like obsessed wow. with it. Um, and I also have this memory of when I was very young, there used to be this feeling that would come over me of the best way I can describe it is like hyper presence. Um, mm-hmm. It would be, it would feel like, it would feel scary. It would feel like I would just become very aware of being like alive. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I, it, it was like this very, very intense, like this is happening right now. And yes. whenever I would feel it, I would kind of pull away and like try to stop myself from thinking about it. Um, and I can remember one time I finally, it was, we were driving my mom and I, and I was looking at the sunset and I had that feeling come over me and I expressed it to her for the first time, even though it had happened many times to me before. And she kind of uh, laughed and kind of didn't understand, you know, and that Mm. kind of broke the spell. That was like the last time I remember feeling it. Yeah. I mean, and I love (laughs) my mom and she's super supportive, but there was something about her about me speaking it and kind of knowing that it was weird and then her not getting Mm. it that sort of broke the spell you know a little bit Yeah, that confirmation of like yes you're weird (laughs) yes yes um so you know cut to many years growing up you know teenage and and in my 20s of just kind of intensely soul searching you know I had some trauma to heal and I was always Mm kind of looking for ways you know to do that and then when I was um, actually performing on Broadway, I uh, took a tarot class in New York just on a whim. And of anything in my life, you know, being gay, being a dancer, all those things, that was the one thing that my mom really freaked out about. She she thought, mm-hmm. you know, because of that Southern upbringing that this is the devil's work and, you know, you can't be doing tarot. And so I kind of let that uh influenced me and kind of put the cards away for mm-hmm. a while. And then in my early thirties, um, I was really going through, you know, that Saturn return moment that we all go through, mm-hmm. um, really healing a lot of things from childhood. And I came across Carl Jung's work in archetypes, which mm-hmm. hopefully I'm sure we'll talk about that later because now I feel quite different about Jung, but, um, okay. At the time I was, I was very on board and young and his, a lot of his teachers talk about the power of finding archetypes to meditate on, um, you know, to kind of uh, call forth within yourself. So I was like, oh, well, where else can you find better archetypal images than the tarot, Mm -hmm. you know? And I pulled my deck back out. That that was when I turned 30 and I haven't stopped since. Um, And I just fell completely head over heels in love. And, and, uh, it really, it's helped and changed my life, you know? Yes. Ah, ah. Okay. So I have so many things, so many things that you said there just resonated with me so strongly. Mm. Um, uh, so first Nick, I just wanted to go back to something you said about, um, your magical childhood and that hyper presence that you described. Cause that Mm. does sound to me as like, that sounds to me like a spiritual, sort of experience. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like I know the feeling that you're talking about. And I think that I had it when I was little, um, and I lost it. I feel like I lost that awareness and that feeling as well until I started coming back into sort of like my, my agnostic paganism in my late twenties and then found tarot again. And then like all that started to like tick up again, but it makes me think about the power of confirmation and rejection uh, Mm -hmm. or acceptance and rejection in our communities. Um, Mm -hmm. Cause like, you know, for me growing up in the South and in the church, it got really hard to believe in things. Like it got really hard to sustain that belief. Mm. Um, and I was using tarot when I was in high school a little bit, uh, more than tarot. I was like doing little, uh, like Wiccan spells in my basement bedroom at night, but 
it just got really hard to sustain that belief when the whole world was either telling me I'm sinful and going to hell or telling me that I was a fool and an idiot for believing in anything because the only true thing is science and, uh, you know, what can be emp- empirically measured and proven, you right, know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, non-binary, my non-binariness sort of came through tarot and my return to queerness came through tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know, Nick, the last time you and I talked for when you were interviewing me on your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about uh, gender in tarot and mm-hmm. talked about like the gendered masculine and feminine duality. And I remember you telling me then that you were like, it's one of the things that you were really thinking about and chewing on. Mm -hmm. And you have since then come up with some really, I think, like wise, insightful uh, ideas and comments on the duality that have then thrown me into rethinking what I thought about it again. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, it was, it's fun. I mean, likewise, like I, I would say to you that, that your, that conversation with you really start sparked a lot for me as well, you know? And um, I, I would love to talk about this because now when I talk about gender and tarot um, and archetype too, like I said, you know, I, I now really question archetype in a lot of ways, honestly, mm-hmm. but um I, one of the things that people will say is archetype was really powerful for me, you know, and I, I really want to tell everyone that it was for me too. So I understand that I had this conversation recently with another tarot reader and I was saying, you know, I, I totally get that, you know, for me, it was the same, like definitely at the time I was identifying, you know, as a, as a cis man. And Mm -hmm. I was saying, you know, I'm trying to heal the masculine in me. I'm trying, you know, Mm -hmm. I I had a lot of father wounds. I'm trying to parent myself and father myself. And, you know, and it was very powerful. That was my uh, introduction into witchcraft. And there were a lot of dark candlelit midnights, you know, (laughs) that I was doing spell work around the masculine and calling in like St. Michael and all these things. And, you know, but now that I've gone through this journey, and I also want to hold space for the fact that this was truly like a pandemic year journey, like an entire Mm -hmm. year of me trying to decide and decipher how I felt about my own gender and gender in society and, you know, just really examining it all. So I want to honor and hold space for the fact that it's complicated and confusing and overwhelming. And I always want to say to people, like, just keep going and pull back when you need, but, you know, just, just kind of keep gently moving forward if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, I, I think that also now when I look back, I see how maybe the way I did it was very powerful, but now I think there could have just been another way, you know, Mm -hmm. there could have been perhaps another way of healing my father wounds that weren't maybe around these ideas of what it means to be masculine. You Mm -hmm. know, maybe, maybe if I had gone through the gender journey sooner and, or if I lived in a society that looked at gender differently, I mean, maybe the wounds would not have even been there, but also Mm -hmm. maybe they could have just been examined in a different way, you know? So just because, Mm -hmm. just because I don't think that path is, is anything that I would prescribe now, um, doesn't mean like that there isn't another way to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like I, the the healing is obviously important and we have to figure out how to get to that. But I just now think like, oh, maybe there's just another way I could have healed. I, I, I absolutely like, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that we, the only way to heal father wounds is by working with like masculinity archetypes or, you know, uh, vice versa with like femininity archetypes. And also I wonder, I just wonder if because of the society that we still have right now and the culture we still have right now, and I'm, when I'm talking about society and culture, I want to just be clear that I'm talking about primarily Western European and American Mm -hmm. um, white society and culture, uh, Mm -hmm. the sort of, you know, over culture that uh, we are all um, living under to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. Um, Because of that, I wonder if for a lot of people, like the first door they have to walk through is kind of that healing their relationship to masculinity or healing their relationship to femininity door. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once they're on the other side of that, 
they can start to realize wait what what the heck is this gender thing anyway <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> right uh, yeah i don't know i i really don't know i um I go back and forth and I go back and forth with the same thing in tarot when Mm -hmm. I teach and I've talked to people about this before, you know, I go back and forth with whether you need to, a lot of people say, you know, well, you have to start with the basics. And Mm so what oftentimes what they're saying when, when, or what they're referencing when they're referencing these quote unquote basics is, is these, you know, the way that we look at gender now in, in this society that you just named in this, you know, white American European centric society. But, mm-hmm. but that is not that old is what I've been thinking about lately. You know, the way that we look at it now, it's changed over the years and it really, yeah. really began like, honestly, with eugenics, which is extremely problematic, you know, like turn yep. of the century. So what I've recently become more interested in is I would, I mean, wouldn't we all just love to take like a year sabbatical and just do like tarot research, but, you know, I really wish that I could (laughs) find some sources of the way that readers were talking about these concepts of gender, or maybe not talking about them, you know, in like the Renaissance, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. because even the word homosexual is a 19th century invention, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so there were, obviously there were people having sex with same sex people always, but it just wasn't like, uh, you know, something, there wasn't like a word for it, you know, it's just, so, so it just makes me wonder, like when, when a Renaissance tarot reader pulled up, you know, the Empress, like, what did they say about it? Were, mm-hmm. and, and I doubt they were saying, you know, certain gendered ideas around femininity as we look at them now in America and, and Europe, as you said, you know, so yeah, I just, I, I just think that um, when we, when we say like, we have to learn the basics, it's like, okay, or, or people use the word tr- traditional, the traditional mm-hmm. interpretations. And I'm like, well, what, what tradition are you talking uh-huh. about? You know? Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> so, yeah. And, and as I've done this thinking about gender, like learning the history for me is very freeing because it shows there is more out there, mm-hmm. you know, that the history does not stop at Rider Waite Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, the history goes far back from that. And, um, and, and yeah, so anyways, sorry, I'm going on a total tangent, but I oh, just, no, no, um, no, I love this tangent. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I just think that I don't know whether um, it's better when I start teaching a tarot person, especially because I'm sure it's the same for you. A lot of my clients and, and students are queer and non-binary or trans. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, do I need to, why do I need to like tell them about cishet norms Mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. emperor and empress when we know, you know, we live in it, we get it, you know, we know. So, so that's a given. So why not just start with a different way immediately, you know? And, and some people say, well, they need to know those basics so they can kind of discuss and critique along with everyone else. But I'm like, I just, I'm always saying to myself, when is going to be the moment when we're going to move forward? Right. You know, when are, when are we going to let go? When are we going to let go? of Rider-Waite-Smith. Honestly, I feel so like sacrilegious saying that, but it's really how I feel. (laughs) Like, when are we going to let go? When are we going to move forward? When are we going to, when is it going to matter enough that that deck is not inclusive enough and that there are Mm -hmm. lots of other decks such as your incredible deck that are fully inclusive, (laughs) you know, and when are we just going to move on forward, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that I I love everything that you're saying. Um, I, it makes me think of a couple things. So one thing, like when teaching tarot, I agree with you. There's no reason to teach like this is the divine masculine or the divine feminine, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And when I do teach it, I, I acknowledge that those are words that they're going to run into in books and on podcasts Mm -hmm. and wherever. um, And then try to reframe like those gendered cards in a different way and and the the core masculine feminine tarot duality in a different way as well and like what you said about um the history of tarot and the history of interpretation i mean the fact is and i think this supports your point about like when are we just going to like leave those old outdated you know harmful modes behind and start mm-hmm. doing something different tarot has always been it's been reconceptualized from the very beginning because mm-hmm. from the very beginning, it was never actually a uh, divinatory tool. You know, when it was created mm-hmm. around like 1440 in Italy, 
uh, it was a card game, you know, that right, it wasn't right. created to be this system that we're using it for now. It was, it was right. created to play cards with, you know, game kind of like bridge. And it wasn't until much later, like centuries later, that we start seeing the the first writings from like occultists and thinkers that are applying these metaphysical or uh, divinatory ideas to tarot. And like, Mm -hmm. they're just making it up. Like they're just looking at the cards and going like, okay, well, here's, I see like, I see in this card uh, that this archetype could connect to this thing from like a, the, the thing at the time was like Egyptian mythology. Um, the cards from the beginning were archetypes. Like they were always archetypal or allegorical mm-hmm. um, in like the original card game. But then these other meanings were added onto them later. And then they changed after that uh, and mm-hmm. evolved again. And, you know, and they, a- and they also were reflective of society originally, Absolutely. you know, they were, they were actually showing actual Kings, actual Queens, actual families. So again, mm-hmm. again, I'm like, well, okay. If tarot reflects society, then again, like what did, what are these decks reflecting and are they actually reflecting the society that we, that we see today, you know? And the thing is too, that I've thought about a lot lately is, you know, when you first start, reading tarot and learning about tarot, you feel like these cards have these stuck fixed meanings, you know, and then what you learn over the years is no, actually they, they open up and expand based on your, the way you interpret them. So the way that it moves forward is through us, you know, it is the cards cannot do it themselves. They rely on us to expand them. So again, it's like, when do we, when are we going to take the, that into account? And I just find it really interesting that in the the tarot and spiritual sphere and community, there is a lot of outspokenness about inclusivity, you know, obviously fantastic, but then at the same time, a lot of gripping and grasping to these extremely fixed um, Mm. binary ideas Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. masculine and feminine, you know, and that dichotomy, you know, or that the tension between that desire to really be forward thinking and, and, you know, inclusive, but also trying to like kind of make it work. And, you know, I have to tell you that I officially now say to anyone that tells me that divine feminine and divine masculine are not gendered is gaslighting me. It's gaslighting, you know, that is because the, the terms themselves are literally gendered. So uh-huh. you, you are gaslighting me. If you say that, that it is not gendered. Absolutely. Is gendered. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, amen to everything that you just said and like, Oh, okay. Wait, where to start? Where to start? Okay. So, uh, I just got so excited by what you just said about the gaslighting that like everything else flew out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> I think I actually like spit a little bit when I like made that like laugh sound. Like <laughs> that was powerful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so here's okay. Here's here's one of the things I, w- I, w- I wanted to ask or follow up with uh, because I was listening to um, I've had this conversation with a couple tarot reader friends of mine and I was listening to my friends um, Eric and Coleman uh, Eric uh, Reverend Eric of Arnamancy the Arnamancy podcast and Coleman Stevenson of the Dark Exact uh, were doing a live and they were talking about well when does tarot stop becoming like stop being tarot anymore like is mm-hmm. there a line? And mm-hmm. like, if there is a line, what is it? Is it like adding bunches of extra cards? Is it like changing the essential meanings or the system in some way? Like what is, where does this thing stop being tarot anymore and start being something else like a advanced Oracle deck? Mm-hmm. And now of course they didn't have an answer to this. They were like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that or if like, it's a non-question to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a good question. Um, I mean, I will say that a lot of times when I talk about these ideas, several people have said to me, "Why do you even keep doing it?" You know, it, like maybe it just maybe it just doesn't work. You know, maybe the system is broken. It's definitely you know based in Western you know gender ideas, and so maybe you just need to maybe switch to Oracle. Some people have suggested that to me, mm-hmm. um, but I will say that 
it kind of circling back to one of the first questions you asked, you know, what it does give me um, because of the way these archetypes are really fixed in our minds is something to push off against and a lens, a lens through which to examine it, you know? So I actually, while I am very um, pro uh, expanding and uh, revising these archetypes, they, their narrowness right now is what lets me examine them, you know? So it's kind of a, it's like both and situation, you know, and, and I, I'm grateful to the tarot for that. I'm, I'm grateful that it has given me a lens to examine it because like I said, I mean, when I was going through my own journey with, with being a non-binary person, I, it was extremely disorienting and tarot really helped focus, you know, just gave me like a place to focus in and a way to look at it. Um, that, that kind of just didn't make me feel so like just lost in the soup, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I've been sort of working with tarot now, uh, for a while, but I'm like, I've been intellectualizing or I guess maybe not, that's not the word I've been sort of, um, these ideas have been coming more and more into focus over time that like I've been working with tarot as kind of like a thing that we take multiple passes at. So like specifically Mm -hmm. in the fool's journey of the major arcana, you know, the first time that we move through it, like as beginning with tarot or just sort of like in a um, figurative metaphorical way, we are kind of dealing with it as like these very standard uh, often gendered, but really limited archetypes like, you know, empress and emperor and what those mean. Like the, I think of those on the first pass as like the type of femininity and masculinity that we learned when we were children. I hope that this is something that is not necessary in the future when mm-hmm. people don't have that shit to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the first pass, like that's what it is. It's like the things that we're taught. And then we break those down as we move through, you know, the second line of uh, the major arcana. And then we sort of transcend them when we get to the last line and then we get to the world and then we go back to the full and we do it again. And on the second pass, we're like, okay, well, what can the empress and emperor mean instead? Now that I know that like mm. this kind of uh, gendered, application is uh, bullshit, you know, Mm -hmm. and we like do that. And then we keep going and then we come back and we do it again. And like, I'm like, am I on the third pass now or the fourth (sighs) pass or, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think it's this constant sort of active review and deconstruction, which is a word that you used, um, which I think is absolutely right. And I wonder if that's one of the I'm just like spitballing. I'm just working with these ideas. I wonder if that's mm-hmm. one of the primary utilities of tarot uh, nowadays is as a deconstruction tool to understand sort of the paradigms that we have internalized, the you know uh, the beliefs that we've internalized to recognize those and deconstruct them and then find through that what's really true for us. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's what, I know for me, that's been a huge part of what tarot has done for me. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you really taught me that when I interviewed you, um, you, you said that you said, uh, when mm-hmm. I, I feel like the emperor and the empress, uh, show up to kind of help me examine them or just sort of confront me, I think is the word maybe mm-hmm. that you used. And I, I've thought about that a lot. I mean, that, that definitely helped me as I thought about it. And, um, the other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, this, this discussion of gender and tarot, it's not about eliminating gender, (laughs) you know, which is really important to say, I think a lot of people feel that way, you know, but it's, it's about making it more expansive, you know, so it's, um, it's freeing it up for anyone and everyone. And the other thing I think is important to say, a lot of times I will hear from um, cis people, uh, well, you know, I, I'm cis. And so this conversation isn't about me. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, no, this conversation is about all of us. Like gender affects all of us, you know, Mm -hmm. like in a huge, huge way. Um, and particularly like feminists, you know, cis women, like Mm -hmm. for sure, you know, and, um, but all of us. And, um, so, yeah, so I think it's important to, to hold space for the fact that it's, it's trying to open it up to make it less limiting for everyone. You know, absolutely. Thank you for saying that because I, I forget that, that 
that this conversation can come off as, or that the existence of non-binary people in general can come off as an attempt to eradicate gender. Right. Um, which yeah. is not true. Um, and the thing, and the other thing I have to watch myself on um, as I examine these concepts is not, not doing the same thing I'm fighting against meaning like not fixing them, you know, not, not, and I mean like not making them stationary and, and, and stuck, you know, but like, for instance, right now I'm part of this amazing um, tarot group that has people in it from all over the United States. And that's been so great for me to just hear like every week we focus on a different card and to hear everyone's different ideas and have to remember that like, yes, there are, there are infinite ways to look at these cards. And just, just because I'm, coming into my focus of what I believe they mean that, you know, they, they, they bloom again and again and again for everyone. On, on that note, I want to talk just like very briefly, because like we've already talked for so long and I want to make sure we have time <laughs> to talk about the, the court cards as well, which was like the main thing oh, I yes. wanted to talk about uh, a question about the duality. So mm-hmm. um for those listening, this is the uh, sort of idea in tarot theory that all of the cards can be kind of like uh, placed into a binary of what is what has been historically called feminine cards and masculine cards or feminine energy and masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Nick and I have already been talking about how we feel about using, uh, gender or gendered, uh, gender loaded terms to talk about the tarot or to talk about energy in general, but Nick, so I, uh, like in my guidebook and when I teach, I've offered other ways to think about that core duality. Um, mm-hmm. and the words that I suggest in my guidebook and that I, uh, usually teach, are projective energy and receptive energy mm-hmm. with projective being the you know quote unquote masculine and receptive being the quote unquote feminine i'm pretty sure i've talked about that on this podcast before too mm-hmm. but because of something that you posted i have like now been even questioning that so let me tell you about it okay <laughs> um, <laughs> It was when you did like a uh, a thing in your stories where you uh-huh. asked your followers to type in what words they mm-hmm. thought of when uh, they thought of like masculine and feminine. Or I think that was a setup of it. I missed when you actually asked the questions in your stories, but I saw the the output of it later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw because you made this like infographic and this beautiful chart that like at the top of the chart for masculine and feminine were the words projective and receptive that mm-hmm. your followers had put in. And I went, oh my God, people are just using them as stand-ins. Like, yeah. has, does it even mean, is it even changing the way we think about this at all? Or is right. it just like putting a different word on it while maintaining the same uh, core understanding, (laughs) which I think is something that you talked about in that post as well. And it's like my, you, like my brain has gone like supernova. (laughs) And now I'm like, how do we, how do we work with the duality in a way that's essentially non-gendered? Is it even possible? And then also the duality, does it even exist at all? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, and that's, that's, what's been so interesting. So I really have appreciated the Instagram community as I've explored this, because it is, that has what's taught me so much because of the variety of responses I get, you Mm -hmm. know, like for instance, I've gotten projective for feminine and receptive for masculine. I've gotten, I've gotten, yeah, all kinds of things. And also when I did that, story series that you're talking about. The other thing that emerged very clearly was that people that were saying, yes, I believe in masculine and feminine concepts were, and then I said, you know, what are the words that you would use to describe feminine? What are the words you use to describe masculine? They weren't always uh, opposites. You know, they were, they were like, and that's what I tried to show in that infographic was sometimes they were, sometimes there was like a binary or duality showing up, but sometimes it was quite like, arbitrary, you know, the words that were getting associated. So, and, and if you, if you took like one of the more arbitrary words and applied its opposite, 
I feel like you would be like, well, no, that's definitely not what, you know, that really doesn't work. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's like, why does there need to be a a duality? You know, like, um, you know, each of these cards, I think speaks equally strong for anyone and everyone, you know, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why we need to have that duality. It's just, I think it's just so, um, it's just so set up for us in the world Mm -hmm. we live in. And it's, it, it is easy. Honestly, it's an easy way to think about things. And there are things in the world that, I mean, you know, there's day, night, whatever, but then there's also like dawn and dusk. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's really not just black and white. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of spiritual teachings talk about that. Like I think of Buddhism, you know, and sort of the middle, middle path, the middle way, you know, Mm -hmm. like um, yeah. So I, I think I'm pretty much in a place now where I'm just like, I, I don't think this binary thing holds ever, right, right, <laughs> you know, right. I agree with you. And I actually think that, you know, one way of looking at the tarot itself um, is a, as a, a, as a journey to understanding that these binary ways of thinking don't exist. I mean, that's the, literally mm-hmm. the story we see in the major arcana uh, mm-hmm. is from a place of like sort of uh, rigid seeming archetypes to a place of fluidity and then transcendence. Um, like it literally is a, a story of moving beyond binaries and boxes and understanding everything's fluid and like, it's right there in the tarot. And so then right. maybe if like the duality has uh, any, like any use it's, because that's where we're sort of automatically starting as humans most of the time, because humans do have a, a way of, of often thinking in binary terms, you know? Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's that, it's that tricky place of like, do we, how do we work in the system we're in now? You know, how do we honor and, and, and say, you know, how does the tarot show up for what exists now in society versus how does it imagine something new, you know, and, and how much do we push that as we talk to clients about it or whatever, you know? And the other thing I was thinking about as we were talking about that, the Instagram thing was um, the amount of normally cis uh, women who say to me, I don't understand what divine feminine is, Yeah, you know? And I'm like, well, then maybe we should listen to them. You know, I think a lot of people would say, well, that's because you haven't examined it and, you know, let's, let's dive into it and let it heal you. But I'm like, maybe, maybe it, maybe we should listen to the fact that they don't. And that takes me back to like my own journey mm-hmm. with Matt, with the masculine. And it's like, yeah, I mean, sure. The road I took was like, let me examine it and find it. But if someone had just said, Hey, you know, maybe that's all just crap anyways, that, that would have, that would have felt very different as well, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about the court cards. Um, okay. Because that's supposed to be what we're talking about. That's why we're here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Nick, I wanted to ask you about how uh, you work with the court cards, of course, because, you know, traditionally these cards are very gendered and also because I know that you've done work like your own work with uh, sort of reframing the court cards and understanding them in new ways. And, and because I haven't talked about court cards on this podcast before. So I thought what a beautiful thing to like sort of start this conversation with another person. So Nick, I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about uh, your approach to understanding or working with the court cards. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're tricky and, and hard to get to know. Um, and that's why I kind of went down that path of examining them, but, um, yeah, I mean, talking about this, the history of tarot again, you know, historically when tarot first, you know, was coming into existence, we, we lived in like the feudal system, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's how the world was set up. And we already talked about how the card, the the court cards actually reflected actual Kings and actual Queens and, you know, yada, yada. But like we said, you know, now, now if tarot is supposed to reflect our society now, Mm -hmm. we don't live in that system, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what made me start thinking about, well, what does that mean? You know, and, and what does this mean about this hierarchy that is implied in this, you know, journey of page knight, queen, king, um, you know, what does that mean? So I, I actually f- stumbled upon this article that actually was a, it was a feminist scholar, biblical scholar examining um, 
the concept of heterarchy or sorry, hierarchy as it applied to biblical, um, like Israel. And, um, and she actually was saying that a lot of scholars no longer think that that's that, that, that patriarchy and, and hierarchy are the right words to describe exactly what was happening back then that perhaps the word heterarchy, which I had not heard of before I saw this article, is a better way. And basically heterarchy means that, you know, there there is um, differences in power, but it changes situation to situation. It's not kind of fixed. It's not like stuck. That's the super okay. simple way of examining it or of explaining it. So, so I thought about that a lot with the court cards. I was like, hmm, what would it mean for, you know, these cards to not be fixed as far as who's, you know, maybe further along in the suit than others, you know, what would it mean for like each of these cards to kind of freely associate? And I also thought about um, Adrian Marie Brown's book, Emergent mm-hmm. Strategy, in which she talks about um, coming into meetings of collaboration and how there are ways that you can both hold space for the fact that everyone in that room has different expertise in different arenas, but Mm -hmm. that right now in this meeting, we're all on equal playing field. So no one is, no one's power is being threatened, but we're all equal, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, that feels like to me, like what the court cards should really be doing, you know, like that, that feels like a better way to think about it. And then finally, the last thing I'll say about it is, um, I think I learned this from Lindsay Mack originally. I'm definitely not the first person to talk about this, but you know, the way that you can think about the court cards as being associated with the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is interesting to me because for instance, um, you know, page of pentacles would be double earth would be earth of mm-hmm. earth. So mm-hmm. that would mean that maybe page of pentacles is the most earthy of the court cards in the pentacle suit, you know, not the king. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting to me too, you know, because, um, yeah. And also it, it provides interesting ways of looking at, you know, I had a client one time I, I pulled, um, what was it? Knight of, is it, was it, uh, no King of Pentacles. Is that right? No page, sorry, <laughs> page of swords. That's what I pulled. <laughs> page of and so I was, and I was kind of, to be honest, I was experimenting with this, uh, elemental way of looking at it kind of in the moment. So I said, okay, you know, this is earth of air, you know? So I said, um, so earth of air, you know, so earth is very stable and fixed, you know, air is moving. So it might be that when, you know, new ideas are presented to you, you might feel a little bit of, you might have difficulty kind of getting on board. You might feel a little Mm -hmm. threatened by new ideas because, you know, it would take a lot of air to like move earth, you know, to move like a mountain. And they replied, um, well, you know, that's, I don't really feel that way. That's not really how I am. And this is why it's important to be open and listen to your client. So, Uh and so they said, you know, actually I kind of, you know, I I don't really feel threatened at all by new ideas. I like hearing what other people think, you know, I feel like I, I know pretty well what I think, but I like hearing other people's viewpoints. And I was like, well, actually that's, I think that's a better way to explain this elemental energy with page of swords Mm. is you, you are solid, you know, you are, you are, you know what you know. And so you don't feel threatened by this air and these ideas moving around you, you know, you can, you can listen and you can take in other ideas, but it's not going to maybe fundamentally change you or shake you, you know? So that was really, that was cool, you know, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at, um, with it now, but please tell me what you think about them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I, uh, absolutely to all those things. Um, the way I also work with, uh, the court cards, um, uh, mostly in an elemental framework, like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, with that, I think it's important to note that, um, there's no consensus on what cards are what element. So, right. you know, usually most people agree that pages are earth, but not everyone. Uh, mm. Most people agree that queens are water. Haven't really heard anybody right. say differently about that. But then people strongly disagree on whether kings yes. and que- uh, kings and knights are fire or air. And I, I'm like, like people get like, mad about it <laughs> and I'm like I, I take like a chiller stance I'm like listen it's all it's all made up anyway it's just like whatever makes sense to you it's what works for you that's yeah. what matters um and uh all, because I also believe that the cards show up to be read by the person pulling the cards and mm. so like they already know who they're working with and what you think about you know the elemental correspondences of the court card so right um but uh 
yeah, with that, uh, with using those elemental correspondences, I think it, it, it puts it in a, in a framework that is easier to intuitively understand for people these days, I think, since we mm-hmm. don't live in a feudal system. Um, right. <laughs> that's not, I mean, I think people still would understand king and queen, but like, what's a page? What does a page really do? You know? Yeah. Um, and also with, uh, with the elemental sort of pairings, you get like, well, you get, pairs for some of the cards yes yes yeah so like queen of swords for instance is uh queen which is water and swords with which is air and so it's sort of corollary would be uh in my opinion uh king of cups because i work with kings as air um and that also opens up a new sort of way to like study the cards and compare the cards and see connections. Yes. What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Yes. Yes. I, I, I agree. And um, yeah. And some of those differences I think are super subtle. Um, and sometimes I think in a way, to be honest, I'm still kind of examining those, those differences. Um, mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I think that they, I think, uh, you know, earth, I was actually wanting to talk to you about this. I was thinking about it before we hopped on, like, you know, earth of water, maybe mm-hmm. versus water of earth, you mm-hmm. know, and so earth of water kind of makes me think of like, maybe the bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, the earth that's in the water. So mm-hmm. like, maybe a bit more clay, a bit more malleable, you know, kind of soaked in water, saturated versus um, water of earth maybe makes me think of like lakes and streams, you know, maybe, maybe it's moving, you know, the water is or rain, you know, like maybe there's more movement um, to water of earth versus the earth of water. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So that that, I, yeah, it was definitely water that comes out of the earth, like a spring or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing I think about with this elemental thing is the tarot already is set up in the elements, you know, so it kind of makes sense to like tie them in a little bit more, um, you know, and I, I had in the past, again, I mean, I think both of us have, uh, have taken Lindsay's class. And so Mm -hmm. I think Lindsay talks about, um, queens being inner embodiment and kings being outer embodiment mm-hmm. i i just i myself like still feel that just outer twinge of gender binary with right. that you yeah. know a little bit i yeah. it just still kind of i feel it on the edges you know and and also again i've had clients and readers and friends and other people say that they feel like kings are inner and queens are outer you know so Ooh. it's like that doesn't always hold really either, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it depends on like, you know, so Queens are often considered sort of like a nurturing energy. Um, Mm -hmm. and if we, if we do work with Queens as having that nurturing energy, that would mean that they're actually like that that's actually out outer outward focused, at least if they're nurturing other people or projects mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ideas or whatever the case may be, that does actually have a more outer focus. Whereas Kings, I think of Kings as like, um, well, I think of Kings as like um, leading through example as sort of like uh, speaking up as sort of like role models almost, or like, uh, or being good stewards of mm-hmm. the element, you know, that they're, that they're in, mm-hmm. um, which depending on how you think about that could be either outer or inner. So that's a really interesting question that I haven't actually, I haven't thought about uh, enough to have an opinion on yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I think the other thing with the elements that it does is it lets you not like, I don't know that I anymore think that I have to have an opinion about the Kings you know, mm-hmm. or like the Queens. It's like now with these, with that, with the elements, I just think about each card, you know, like every person on its own, <laughs> you know, like, like Kings are not a monolith, uh, you know, like, it's like, uh, you know, it kind of lets it just, I don't know. I, yeah, I just don't know that I, that I feel anymore. Like I have to have a interpretation of like the Kings as a group. Right. You know? Right. Mm, yeah. And ooh, can you hear that crow? 
Yeah. Oh my God. That's so crazy. The crow is like my, has like shown up in my life so much lately. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like on, on the night of the full moon in Scorpio, this flock of, um, or I guess murder of crows, um, like literally escorted me down a road, like from tree to tree as I was walking. Oh my God. Yeah. And I've been meditating with crow and, oh my gosh, I love that it just showed up. That's amazing. Uh uh It's like right outside my window. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Um, yeah. Oh, uh, so, um, you know, I, I do think that I still do that. I think that our, like, since tarot is a system, it has an underlying yeah. system to it. We, yeah. including me, try to like, you know, understand things in clumps. And I think yeah. that that's really useful, especially when you're learning tarot. Mm-hmm. But even when like, when I'm teaching like the numerology and sort of like taking all your sevens and looking at them together, um, it's like, sometimes it's hard to figure out like, okay, well, what is even the theme here? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like how, mm-hmm. how are these working? And like, you know, I have ideas about what those themes might be, but the thing is we can't get like, we've, I mean, we're saying it again. We've talked about this several times. Can't get so rigid and set that we're like sort of forcing things into these molds of, you know, all the Queens together or all the sevens together or things like that. Like it's useful mm-hmm. up to a point and then we have to like set it free. <laughs> yeah. Well, because to be honest, like with the numbers, particularly like in the minors, I really, I've never really felt that connection across the board. I mean, some, some I do, like, I, mm-hmm. I think for five, I think fives, you know, okay. I, I get it. Like five is connected. I get really honestly, like through five, I would say I get it. And then mm-hmm. past five, which is kind of interesting in its own way, but what does that mean? That like after five, suddenly it's kind of all different, but yeah. um, I've never really found a, a, a real through. I mean, I I'll talk about it because honestly, like everyone else talks about it, but, <laughs> but like at my heart, in my core, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And the other thing that to be totally candid and honest that I don't know that I'm totally on board with is the separation of the three lines of the majors. I don't oh. know that I, I don't know that I, I really, love, I love you, Nick. You're in a yeah, class. I don't know that Just I really get it. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm supposed to, and we all talk about it, but I think I, I, what I will say, you mentioned numerology lately, I've been thinking about what it means in numerology to go through nine. Um, mm-hmm. And then in numerology, like 10 and 11 have certain meanings as well. And like, what does that mean? That like 11 justice midpoint, then that's where stuff gets weird for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I can kind of see the linear story through justice. And then I'm like, I don't know now, now it feels like we're just like back and forth and bouncing all over. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that the the separation of the three lines makes sense, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think throw like what if it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for you and again that means something you know absolutely and and also just to say again it's all made up anyway yeah you know the creator of tarot the first you know very first tarot deck didn't like write down in his journal that it was you know arranged in three lines of seven with the fool on the outside um all of these have just been ways of uh trying to understand uh Mm -hmm. the tarot that have been come up by uh come up with by people afterwards so you know and then when you said that you get it through justice I was like about to say like justice 11, like, yeah, if you use Rider Waite Smith or, yes, yes. or otherwise it's strength, like it's all, True. Mm-hmm. it's all, it's all made up. It's just all people. It's all of us trying to um, like throughout history, the history of tarot, trying to find meaning or uh, create ways of understanding sort of spiritual concepts and truths and like what the heck life means and all this stuff. It's just ways of us us trying to find meaning. Uh, And so I think those things are really beautiful and lovely and uh, like useful to learn about, you know, and understand. And then to take what works and leave what doesn't and through the entire thing be like, you know, be skeptical, be skeptical, listen to yourself. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have yeah. to do anything. <laughs> that I have to say that really just like struck me and touched me this idea of like, we sit down with the tarot to like find meaning, yeah. you know, like, and we we're as we talk about the tarot right now on this podcast, we're trying to find the meaning, you know, we're trying to analyze and find the meaning. And, and if tarot 
you know, I really believe very passionately as I know you do too, that tarot has to reflect life. And yeah, yeah, just like, what does that mean that every time we sit down with the tarot deck, we're sitting down to find the meaning of the cards and of our life. Like that just really is beautiful, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And that's, that's why I love tarot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's why I love it. Nick, I have loved this conversation so much. And is there anything else that like any other uh, like topic or like comment or, or thing that you have that you want to add to this discussion? The only other thing I would like to say is just thank you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, you, it really was when you talked to me on my podcast that I really felt, I think, a new level of freedom to explore all of this. So I just really am grateful to you. I I know that so many of us out there in the tarot community are grateful to you. You just do such extraordinary work. And um, so I just, I really, I thank you. And, um, you know, just, just please know how much it means to all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Nick. And like, thank you for this conversation and our earlier conversations. And also just a huge thank you for having this like brave, interested spirit who's that's willing to like, be like, nah, I don't think I, like, I don't think I'm into the three lines. Like I, mm, like, that's beautiful and I respect it. And I think that we can all learn from your example. So thank Thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, uh, I wanted to tell the listeners about the Searcher's Solstice Tarot Symposium, which is coming up on June 18th through 20th if I'm remembering the dates correctly. And this is something that Nick is organizing, um, has organized, and it's an amazing lineup. And Nick and I are going to be part of a panel discussion about uh, gender or sex, sexuality, and gender in the tarot, along with Cassandra Snow, Mm -hmm. the author of Queering the Tarot and Queering Your Craft. Nick, can you, like, is there anything that you want to tell us about it or tell us a little bit more about um, the conference and then the study groups? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the other guest teachers, Mallory Hasty, who's an astrologer, um, we were talking about it and she pointed out in the astrology community, there are tons of these conferences and it kind of means it's very meaningful in an astrologer's life when they speak at one of these conferences. Um, but tarot doesn't really have as much of that kind of thing. And that's where I really started to get the idea to do this. I just basically wanted to bring together, you know, all the amazing folks out there that I've loved learning from and listening to into one, you know, amazing weekend. So, um, yeah, we're going to open with a sound ritual, um, with uh, Zanetta Sykes. And then there will be three afternoon options on Saturday afternoon, uh, astrology, numerology, and tarot beyond religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Saturday night will be the panel with, like you said, you, me, and Cassandra. And then Sunday, uh, Maria Menace will close us with anti-racism in the tarot. And the whole thing is going to be recorded. So any um, international folks, I heard from some international folks that wanted to record and we're going to do that. And that means that that everyone will get to watch every class, even the one that they did not do on Saturday afternoon which is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And then immediately following that, um, beginning June 22nd or yeah, June 22nd, I will, um, kick off a six week study group, um, one for intermediate advanced readers and one for beginner intermediate readers. Um, those will meet once a week for six weeks, uh, for two hours a week. And we just, we nerd out about tarot. We talk about different themes and discussions. I offer um, different spreads that people can do. And then we always have a, a at least 30 minute chunk of time where people just get to do one-on-one readings with each other. Um, and uh, it's just kind of nice to have that consistent place to come to week after week um, to kind of keep your tarot practice um, consistent, particularly honestly for advanced readers, because um, a lot of times you lose the the passion, like we were saying, like with the pages, you know, you forget why you, why you started tarot in the first place. And several people have said to me that these groups are nice ways to kind of reignite, um, your curiosity and your passion for the, for the craft, you know? So, um, yeah, that's about all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on the, uh, as part of the conference. Oh, thank you. So excited that it's going to be all videoed so that I can go to, 
uh, all three of those classes because I was really having trouble deciding which one mm-hmm. I was going to go mm-hmm. to. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so all that information is on it, the links in my bio on Instagram at Man of the Cards and my website's manofthecards.com. And if you go to manofthecards.com slash symposium, um, you'll find all of that information to get signed up. Amazing. Well, and that's, you just told them where to find you. Is there anywhere else you'd like to add or any other sort of upcoming offering or project you'd like to talk about? I think that's really it. I mean, I would say Instagram at man of the cards is, is where I'm most active. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so, so much, Nick. This was such a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to The Word Witch. This show is produced, edited, and everything all entirely by me, Charlie Claire Burgess. Our theme music is Counting Rice by Bitches in the Beehive. If you like what you hear, you can support this show on Patreon uh, for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash the word witch tarot, where you'll also get to hear extras from this very conversation that didn't make it into the show because we talked for an hour and a half. Please check me out on Instagram at the.word.witch or at my website, thewordwitchtarot.com, where you can find my tarot deck, Fifth Spirit Tarot, along with other goodies and cool things. Thanks for listening and stay magical.